Dear podcast listener, are you also a preacher? Then listen up. The Living Church wants to give you a free month of our weekly digital sermon prep toolkit, The Living Word Plus. Just click the link in the show notes to sign up and use the coupon code LISTENUP to get the first month of your subscription for free. Subscriptions are month by month, so you can cancel anytime. If you haven't tried it yet, The Living Word Plus is chock full of food for thought for Sunday's upcoming sermon with articles, sermons, and classic texts all related to the lectionary readings for the coming Sunday. It's curated by Living Church editors just for liturgical preachers and teachers. Again, podcast listeners get the first month free. Click the link in the show notes and use the coupon code LISTENUP at checkout. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. Welcome back, Living Church Podcast listeners. I hope you all are taking or have taken or are going to take some kind of rest, some kind of vacation, if you can. I myself went to East Texas and Tennessee a few weeks ago, and I watched a lot of Olympic games while I was on vacation, though I did not watch as much Ted Lasso as I would have liked. But perhaps the week-by-week release of the episodes was actually the Lord's provision against too much binging, especially in this hot weather. Today's podcast episode is certainly related to transitions from summer into fall, particularly for our kids. More on that in a moment. We'll enjoy a reading today in our classic text series, an excerpt from a great work by a great author, ancient or contemporary. This one comes from the holy orator St. John Chrysostom. In the spirit of vacation, today is a bit shorter than usual. We're taking it a little easier this week. But we'll be back in two weeks with our regular length episodes. But for now, enjoy this sweet treat of a reading by our very own summer intern in residence, William Hargrave. William came to us from Sewanee, where he's finishing his undergraduate studies, and he kept us in conversation, wit, icons, excellent stationery, and Latin declensions all summer. And we will surely miss him and his seersucker jackets as he goes back to school. Speaking of school, in time for the return to class, whether you're a professor, a parent, or a student yourself, today's reading from Chrysostom is a homily and maybe a bit of a scolding, maybe you could say an authoritative encouragement, about why we send our kids to school and how, thereby, we should teach them to live. William will give you a further introduction with some of his own thoughts and insights as a student himself. And that's it from me. We hope you enjoy the reading. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm William Hargrave, an intern for the Living Church, and in this podcast, we'll be exploring a sermon by St. John Chrysostom. Born at Antioch in 347, Blessed Chrysostom lived to become the Archbishop of Constantinople and is historically regarded as the most prominent doctor of the Greek Church, as well as the greatest Christian preacher to ever have preached, such that the surname Chrysostom 
doesn't actually appear until almost a century and a half after his death in 407 and means golden-mouthed, a clear testament to his eloquence. His theology pervades Catholic and Orthodox doctrine to this day, and his influence as a liturgist is no less inescapable. The Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom is the standard Eucharistic liturgy in the Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Catholic, and especially the Byzantine rites. And you may be familiar with the prayer that's named for him at the end of the morning and evening services in our own Anglican daily office. In this sermon, he preaches on a section of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians in order to instruct parents on the raising of Christian children. Coming to this text, not as a parent, but as a relatively recent child, there are a couple things that stand out to me. First, Blessed Chrysostom talks about all the sorts of folly and bad examples from popular entertainment that children are exposed to and how desperately in need they are for remedies from these influences. That can't ever have been truer than it is today. I remember a few years ago there was a scandal on YouTube where videos that were advertised as being for small children, like two-year-olds, were really filled with vile and awful depictions of obscene behaviors. Especially as I think about the many irretrievable hours I have spent half-watching content on some video platform or mindlessly scrolling down this or that app, our desperation for something greater becomes obvious. He also talks about the zealousness with which we worry about our own and our children's schooling, but not our spiritual lives. I can't help but recall my own high school experience, all the hours I spent night after night going to classes in preparation for the ACT, then the SAT, coming home and with what little energy I had left, brushing up for the next AP exam. Yet all the while, giving God just an hour a week, if that, of some fraction of my attention from the pew on Sunday morning. Our eloquent archbishop has a few things to say on these topics. At last, I'd like to invite those of us without children to consider how we're still bound by Blessed Chrysostom's instruction here, whether we have formally been made godparents or simply know those in our communities who have children themselves. Each of us has an opportunity and an obligation to help shepherd the children in our lives and to assist their parents in the same. Every time a baptism takes place in the church, we, the congregation, are asked, will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ? We will. I think what St. John Chrysostom has to say here is pertinent, especially as we ask ourselves how we could possibly live into that promise we make. The reading from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the first three verses of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. This is what St. John Chrysostom has to say. St. Paul develops his theme in an orderly fashion. He will not speak here about Christ or other lofty subjects, but will direct his words to young minds. That is also why this passage is very short, since children have a short span of attention. If anyone wonders why he doesn't speak about the kingdom of God, but simply gives them the Old Testament commandment, it is because he addresses the children on their own level. The most difficult element in any undertaking is to lay a good, strong foundation based on sound principles. Anything begun this way will easily proceed to the proper conclusion. Children, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. That is to say, in accordance with the Lord. 
for so has God commanded you. What if my parents command me to do things that are wrong, you might ask? Well, even when a parent does wicked things himself, he usually doesn't force his children to imitate him. However, St. Paul has left us a provision in this case by saying, Obey your parents in the Lord, that is, whenever they tell you to do what is pleasing to God. So if your father is an unbeliever or a heretic and demands that you follow him, you ought not to obey, because what he commands is not in the Lord. This is the first good practice commanded us in the scriptures, because before all others, except God, our parents are the authors of our life, and they deserve to be the first ones to receive the fruits of our good deeds. Only after we honor our parents can we do anything good for the rest of mankind. If a man does not honor his parents, he will never treat other people with kindness. He has given the children the most important advice, so he continues by saying to the fathers, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you want your child to be obedient? Then from the beginning, bring him up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't think that it isn't necessary for a child to listen to the scriptures. Don't say, Bible reading is for monks. Am I turning my child into a monk? No, it isn't necessary for him to be a monk. Make him into a Christian. Why are you so afraid of something so good? It is necessary for everyone to know scriptural teachings, and this is especially true for children. Even at their age, they are exposed to all sorts of folly and bad examples from popular entertainments. Our children need remedies for all these things. We are so concerned with our children's schooling if only we were equally zealous in bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then we wonder why we reap such bitter fruit when we have raised our children to be insolent, licentious, impious, and vulgar. May this never happen. Instead, let us heed the blessed Paul's admonition to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let us give them a pattern to imitate. From their earliest years, let us teach them to study the Bible. He repeats this over and over again, you say. We are sick of listening to it. Never will I stop doing my duty. Why do you refuse to imitate the holy men and women of old? Tell me, especially you mothers. Think of Hannah's example. Look at what she did. She brought Samuel, her only son, to the temple when he was only an infant. Who among you would not rather have a son like Samuel? than one who became king of the whole world 10,000 times over. But it's impossible, you say, for my son ever to become as great as he. Why is it impossible? Because you don't really want it. You won't entrust him to the one who is able to make him great. And who is that? God. Hannah commended Samuel into the hands of God. The high priest Eli had no real ability to form him, since he even failed to form his own children. It was the mother's faith and zeal that made everything possible. Be ashamed, you men, at the wisdom of this woman. She gave Samuel to God, and with God she left him. If men return honor for honor, will not God do much more? He gives so much even to those who don't honor him at all. How long are we to be mere lumps of flesh? How long will we cling to the ground? 
Let everything take second place to our care for our children, our bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If from the beginning we teach them to love true wisdom, they will have greater wealth and glory than riches can provide. If a child learns a trade or is highly educated for a lucrative profession, all this is nothing compared to the art of detachment from riches. If you want to make your child rich, teach him this. He is truly rich who does not desire great possessions or surround himself with wealth, but who requires nothing. This is how to discipline and teach your child. This is the greatest riches. Don't worry about giving him an influential reputation for worldly wisdom, but ponder deeply how you can teach him to think lightly of this life's passing glories. Thus, he will become truly renowned and glorious. Whether you are poor or rich, you can do this. These lessons are not learned from a skillful professor, but from divine revelation. Don't ask how he can enjoy a long life here, but how he can enjoy an infinite and eternal life in the age to come. Give him the great things, not the little things. Don't strive to make him a clever orator, but teach him to love true wisdom. He will not suffer if he lacks clever words, but if he lacks wisdom, all the rhetoric in the world can't help him. A pattern of life is what is needed, not empty speeches. Character, not cleverness. Deeds, not words. These things will secure the kingdom and bestow God's blessings. Don't sharpen his tongue, but purify his soul. I don't mean that worldly learning is worthless and to be ignored, but it should not be an exclusive preoccupation. Don't think that only monks need to learn the Bible. Children about to go into the world stand in greater need of scriptural knowledge. A man who never travels by sea doesn't need to know how to equip a ship or where to find a pilot or a crew, but a sailor has to know all of these things. The same applies to the monk and the man of this world. The monk lives an untroubled life in a column harbor, removed from every storm, while the worldly man is always sailing the ocean, battling innumerable tempests. Would you like me to give examples of men whose lives were patterns of virtue, even though they lived in the world? These days we have none to compare with them, even among the righteous. I am referring to the holy men of the Old Testament. How many of them had wives and children, yet were in no way inferior to the greatest ascetic? Of which of them should I speak? Noah, or Abraham, or Joseph? What about the prophets, such as Moses or Isaiah? If you will permit me, I will speak of Abraham, who in many ways is the greatest example of them all. Was he not married? Did he not have children? Yes, but these things in themselves did not make him remarkable. He was rich, but it was not his riches that made him pleasing to God. Why is he called wonderful? Because of his hospitality, his detachment from riches, and his well-ordered life. What makes a lover of wisdom? Does he not care little for wealth or fame? Does he not rise above envy and other evil passions? Consider what a lover of true wisdom Abraham was. First, he was not attached to his homeland. God said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. And immediately he went. He wasn't tied down to his house, or he never would have left it, or his friends or anything else, least of all money. When he had defeated the four kings and was invited to take the spoil, he refused it. 
All these great men looked at this present life as nothing. They did not thirst for riches or other earthly attachments. Tell me, which trees are best? Do we not prefer those that are inwardly strong and are not injured by rainstorms or hail or gusts of wind or by any sort of harsh weather, but stand exposed to them all without fences or garden to protect them? He who truly loves wisdom is like this, and his riches we have already described. He has nothing, yet has everything. He has everything, yet has nothing. A fence does not provide internal strength, nor is a wall a natural support. They provide only artificial protection. What is a strong body? Is it not one that is healthy, whether hungry or overfed, cold or warm? Or is it something that is dependent on restaurants, tailors, merchants, and physicians for health? The truly rich, the true lover of wisdom, needs none of these things. And that is why the blessed apostle admonishes us to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't surround them with external safeguards of wealth. For when these fail, and they will fail, our children will stand naked and defenseless having gained no profit from their former prosperity, but only injury, since when those artificial protections that shielded them from the winds are removed, they will be blown to the ground in a moment. Therefore, wealth is a hindrance, because it leaves us unprepared for the hardships of life. So, let us raise our children in such a way that they can face any trouble and not be surprised when difficulties come. Let us bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Great will be the reward in store for us. For if artists who make statues and paint portraits of kings are held in high esteem, will not God bless 10,000 times more those who reveal and beautify his royal image? For man is the image of God. When we teach our children to be good, to be gentle, to be forgiving, all these are attributes of God, to be generous, to love their fellow man, to regard this present age as nothing, we will instill virtue in their souls and reveal the image of God within them. This, then, is our task, to educate both ourselves and our children in godliness. Otherwise, what answer will we have before Christ's judgment seat? If a man with unruly children is unworthy to be a bishop, how can he be worthy of the kingdom of heaven? What do you think? If we have unruly children, shall we not have to render an account for them? Therefore, let us be greatly concerned for our children and for ourselves as well. As we educate both ourselves and them, let us beg God to help us in our task. If he sees that we care about this, he will help us. But if we are unconcerned, he will not give us his hand. The good God himself will bring this work to perfection so that all of us may be counted worthy of the blessings he has promised through the grace and love for mankind of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, with whom, together with the Holy Spirit, be glory, honor, and power to the Father, now and forever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast. Tune in over the next month when we'll welcome the Reverend Dr. Rachel Mash to talk to us about global climate change and the Green Anglicans Movement. 
and with Dr. Warren Kinghorn to contemplate together how understanding trauma can help us be better pastors, healthier leaders, and more nourishing communities in times of crisis. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been great to be with you. Peace.